good weekend for you. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. What a nice, uh, good group this evening to welcome you to this evening worship service. Thank you for being here tonight. It's a pleasure to welcome everybody who's here in person. And if you're watching on our live stream, it's a delight to welcome you to be here as well. Thank you for joining all of us into this time of worship. Let me just run through a few announcements before we get started. And that is um, to not only welcome you here, but also to remind you to sign the friendship pad. If you're watching at home, you can go on to the church website. You can sign the electronic friendship pad, and that will uh, register your attendance with us. We look through that each week. We pray for the folks and look at those who are here, and so we're grateful for all those who sign the friendship pad. You'll also see in your bulletin uh, this week a new thing, a QR code, a little square code-looking uh, device in there, and you can put your phone on that, and you can sign into the friendship pad. I tested it out earlier at the 11 o'clock or the 9.30 service just to uh, make sure it works. So if you can, you can either do that now or you can do that um, later on tonight, but sign in for your presence here. That just helps us know who's here and who's participating with us, and we're always grateful for that. Please do download the bulletin if you're worshiping with us at home, and you can sing along, you can worship along, you can follow all the words and all the pieces uh, to the music as well, and you'll be ben- you'll be. Uh, graced by that participation at home with our with our downloaded bulletin. It is Communion Sunday because it's the first Sunday of the month, and so if you didn't pick up elements and you're in here, then those are by the door over there, and you can pick up the two uh, packets of the, the, the bread, the cracker, and then the grape as well. If you're worshiping at home, then we invite you to get a, a juice or a wine, glass of wine, and also uh, a bread, piece of bread, and you can participate in communion at home while we do that here in the activity center. What a joy it is to see two roses on uh, the table here next to me, and that is uh, because of a great celebration going on in the Farenkopf family. We're delighted to have these two roses up here. They are given uh, given in honor, of course, of twin boys that were born on May the 23rd. John David and Matthew Charles Farenkoff, born to Maria and Chad Farenkoff. They have an older sister, Catherine, and of course, uh, Charles and Alinda Farenkoff, two members, participants in our evening worship service here. We're just delighted for you all. So happy for you and your family. They're doing well, and we'll all say a prayer of gratitude and a prayer of thanksgiving for these two little boys, and we know that uh, they will grace your life, but they don't even know how blessed they are to have y'all as grandparents yet. 
But they will, but they will. But we're just so happy for you, and we know that that's a great occasion for you. Um, of course, you can see that we have uh, loosened up our COVID mask uh, recommendations and our social distancing recommendations. Those have been loosened up for us, and uh, I think uh, um, people are starting to emerge from our pandemic restrictions, but we also know that there are people in our midst who still need to wear a mask, and if you do need to wear a mask, then please do so. Um, I've heard from several people this week about some immune system problems they have. Others have allergies that prohibit their ability to get the vaccination. And so if you need to wear a mask, then please do so, and everybody will respect that. No worries and no questions asked there. If you don't need to wear a mask, then you can certainly, uh, you can certainly do that, and then we'll, we'll uh, have our meetings and our worship services and uh, try to get things back to normal as much as possible as we emerge from COVID. Last night, we were looking forward to a very special event, and that is the, uh, the Ramblers concert with Chuck Utterback and his uh, friends and their musical uh, talents there. They've been with us before, and we got rained out, and I think we were saying this is the first time we've been rained out. We've had these evening worship, uh, these evening concerts that have happened, and uh, we've been fortunate so far, but we got rained out last night. So be on the lookout for another concert with Chuck and the Ramblers, and that'll be rescheduled, and we look forward to having them back as soon as possible. As you came in tonight, you saw the, uh, the lobby of the Activity Center, um, very well decorated, other things around the church building. It's a big week for us tomorrow. It's a fun week. There's Vacation Bible School, so there'll be lots of children and lots of uh, children at heart running around and playing and having a great time this coming week. So pray for VBS, pray for that faith formation time. You, you may remember this. I, this struck me that um, uh, this year during um, our, our, when our confirmands joined the church and they met with the session, they, each three, they all mentioned VBS as a formative experience in their faith development. So um, uh, that's, that's just a, a wonderful testimony to what this week is for children and adults. So pray for our VBS and let's let, let's let that be a great week for us uh, here at GPC. All right, those are all of our announcements as we get ready to worship now. We'll start our time in prayer, and then we'll let our band lead us in worship after that. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time of worship. Lord, you have already replenished the earth with rain yesterday and today. And so we pray that you would now replenish our souls. Lord, replenish our hearts with your grace and your love. As we worship together, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of us in what we think and in what we sing and in what we say and in what we read. We pray, Lord, that this tonight with this sacrament might also be a special night for us. We thank you for all your goodness and love, and we pray that you would be honored in this time of worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen. stand with us. We're going to sing. Praise the Lord, the Almighty. Praise for he is thy God. 
song we're going to sing. It's called King of My Heart. And in this song, we're declaring that we want him to be the king of our lives, that we want to run to him in our times of despair and our times of happiness in every season of life, um, because he's a good father and he's the one who helps us and um, he gives us all that we need. So I invite you to sing this the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, is my soul. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, is my soul. Cause you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, 
this. Is that going to work? Great. Earlier, Ted said, I don't know why it's a Holy Spirit thing, but I think I'm going to put the handheld up there, which he did, which is a good thing. So I'll just use this tonight, and that's fine. And um, as I was saying before we started that, um, you know, we do sermon series here at GPC, and so we're entering into a new sermon series this evening called God at Work. And we're looking at all the ways in which God is at work in our lives, that God is at work sometimes in ways that are very overt, noticeable, and uh, available to us in clear sight. Other times, God is at work in ways that we can't even see. It's under the surface and it's behind the scenes and we don't even know what God is doing. Sometimes it's perplexing and we are confused and we don't understand why this is happening to me, whatever this may be. 
And so God is at work even in those times. And so uh, I'll start us with a prayer for illumination, and I want to read to you some scripture where the people of Israel were um, uh, wondering where God was and wondering how God was at work in their midst. And so let's pray together, and then we'll look at a, a section of 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you blow into our lives, and sometimes you come gently like a whisper. Sometimes you come loudly like a gust of wind. And so we pray that you would swell up in our hearts and our minds this evening as we read from Scripture. We pray, Lord, that you would inspire us in what we read, and so inspiring us, Lord, that you would breathe new life into us through what we read and say and what we hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to read from a section of 1 Samuel chapter 8 that is um, the beginning of a new point in Israelite history. And it's a very fascinating reading, and it's a place where the people let God down, and God is disappointed in what they ask for, and yet nevertheless, God is willing to work through what they ask for and what their requests are. So this is 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel, the name of the second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow his ways, and they turned aside after gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. So then all the elders of Israel gathered together. They came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like the other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say for you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from ruling over them as king, just as they have done to me for the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, to this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then listen to their voice only. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king, who will rule over them. Now what follows are a lot of long verses that are these warnings of what a king will be like. And Samuel warns them that the king wants everything from them. What's his is his and what's yours is his. Basically is the approach of the king because he's going to take your best sons and your daughters and make them serve the royal complex. He'll take your sons for the military and run by his chariots. He'll take your daughters and put them into work in the royal household. And then he talks about taxes a little bit further down where he's going to take the tenth that would have been offered to God. Now the king is going to tax you so that you have to support the whole royal enterprise. So after that long section of warnings, in verse 19 we pick up, but the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like the other nations, that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all these words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, All right, listen to their voice and set a king over them. And Samuel then said to the people of Israel, Each of you return to your home. 
Here's a brief New Testament reading also from 2 Corinthians. And this is a reading that you'll hear a lot uh, at funerals, in fact. It's part of our funeral liturgy, and it reminds us um, that ultimately we belong to God. No matter what happens to us in this life, ultimately God is at work in us, preparing us for eternity. 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight beyond all glory, because we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made not with hands, but eternal in the heavens. Amen. As I mentioned a moment ago, we're entering into this new sermon series called God at Work. And it is such an important question to ask of your own life and of my life. It's an important question to ask of our corporate life together as a church. Is God at work? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Is God at work in my life? Yes. Is God at work in your life? Absolutely. Is God at work in some part of the globe way across around the world that we cannot even see right now? Of course. God is at work in lots of ways that we can never see or imagine. Is God at work in your life right now in a way that even you cannot see? Yes. Yes. God is at work in ways that you can't see. And sometimes, as I mentioned, it is perplexing, it is confusing. And yet, nevertheless, God is still always present always at work. I love studying scripture because the whole Bible, the entire Bible is this long story of God at work in all of creation. And then you can take little slices of it and you can see where God is at work in one little slice of history through a person or through a group of people. So that's what we're doing in this sermon series. We're going to take a little slice of history from ancient Israel. We're going to look at the time from about 1050 B.C. to about 1000 B.C., this slice of life of Samuel tonight, and then a few slices of the life of David, and we're going to see how God was at work. God was at work in them in good times. God was at work in them through very hard times. God was at work when they did well and were obedient, and even God was at work when they were disobedient and sinful. Their sin did not negate God's work in their life. Thank goodness. And so it's relevant for them way back then. And then, of course, what we know is that it's just as relevant for us today to see how God was at work for them and then to apply that to our lives to know that God is at work in your life and in my life right here and right now. So if you start asking those questions about how God is at work and why God is at work and and how does that happen, you are automatically then standing on one of the bedrock beliefs of Christianity, one of the fundamental Beliefs, and it's described with, uh, sometimes people think of it as a, a kind of old-fashioned word, and it is, but it's, it's the work of God's providence. We're talking about God's providence. When we talk about, is God at work, how is God at work, and how do we know? We're talking about God's providence. You won't find the word providence in the Bible, but you will see it expressed all throughout Scripture. There are great verses that talk about it, like Romans eight twenty-eight. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, 
God is at work for good for those who love him. Now, there's a lot of times when I get the wording of this verse a little bit jumbled in my mind. I, I get a little confused on this. The verse did not say, all things that happen to you are good because you love God. Because some pretty awful things happen to people. There are great disappointments. There are tragedies. There are things that are very hard to accept. But our bold belief is that even in those things that are so difficult, tragic, hard to accept, and confusing, even in those things, God can be at work to draw you closer to God and to draw you closer to Christ. You see, providence expressed in places like the book of Genesis with Joseph and his brothers after he is reunited with them. He looks back and he's, he's remembering when they sold him into slavery, when they lied to his father that he had died, when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. All these terrible things that happened to Joseph. Joseph meets up with his brothers years later and said, What you intended for evil, God intended for good to benefit these people. All these things they did to harm him, God was able to turn them around and use them to benefit the people much later. Have you ever thought about your own spiritual memoir and what that might be like, your own spiritual autobiography? I'm reading a book now called Soil and Sacrament by a man named Fred Bonson. He teaches theology at Wake Forest, and his specialty is in the area of, of faith and creation care and agriculture and food production and, <clears throat> and distribution. And uh, it's, his, it's his spiritual memoir. He's talking about the, the way God has been at work in his life, forming him and shaping him from some of his earliest days up until this time right now. And he sees God present in his life, weaving his life and the events of his life together to pull him into a deeper and better faith. And so if you had to, to write your spiritual memoir, what would it look like? I thought about this after the morning service, that we do this with our incoming deacons and elders. We always invite them to write a one-page <clears throat> faith statement and to write a sort of a spiritual faith journey. Um, and I'm always amazed every time at what I hear because it is so profound. It's so amazing to listen to those faith journeys. What is your faith memoir like? How do you see God's providence at work? I've been thinking about God's providence at work in my life a lot uh, lately because of events of this past week and thinking about this text and God's providence in my own life and marking, as some of you saw on LinkedIn or in other places, some of you sent a message to me, marking uh, the fact that uh, this past week was my 10th anniversary of being your friend and pastor here at GPC. Ten years ago, June the 1st, I started here, and so I've been waxing nostalgic about lots of different things here at GPC and some great people and some great events, and there have been some hard times and some difficult things that we've been to, through together, but thinking about that, and then my mind went even further back, and I was thinking about God's providence and God's uh, presence in my life. You start to do that when you wax nostalgic 10 years and then I went back 25 years to the spring and summer of 1996, which is for me the most profound example of God's providence in my life that I have ever experienced. 25 years ago, this spring and summer. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. 
But as I uh, reflect on that, just remember. Remember God's providence. Remember the word that you see there in providence, which is the word provide. The word provide. It comes from two Latin words, uh, pro vide. It means to see ahead. That God sees ahead in your life. God sees around the corner. You and I can only see in two dimensions and in two ways. We can see the present, what's happening right here and right now today. We can see the recent present, like yesterday or last week. But then, of course, we can look way back into our memories to 10 years ago, 25 years ago, childhood even. We can only see in two dimensions the present and the past. God can see the whole picture. God always sees the whole picture. God sees ahead in order to provide for us. God is around the corner for us, seeing ahead. In your faith, in your faith, this bedrock belief that God will be there and that God will provide for you and that God knows what is best for you. This story that we read from 1 Samuel is a very powerful story because it is about God's providence and God's protecting and God's uh, covenant with Israel and that God looking ahead for them in some very important ways. The story begins with, uh, if you heard this, this devastating blow for Samuel. Samuel is old. He is soon to die. He's been the best judge that Scripture remembers over ancient Israel, the very best one. The judges were these great characters who were part military leaders, and so they would lead the Israelites in battle against their foes, like the Philistines, but then they were also uh, legal judges. If you had a dispute against your neighbor, if there was some kind of problem in your community, you took that to the judge. The judge would discern from the Torah, from God's will, between you and your neighbor and apply the law to your situation. So these judges were great, great figures in ancient Israel. Samuel has set his two sons up to be judges after him, And as a great blow to him, of course, the Scripture says they turn out to be corrupt. They turn out to be corrupt. They take bribes. And then this this devastating condemnation, they perverted justice. That's a great condemnation because there is no better word in the Old Testament to describe God's character or God's will than the word justice, mishpat, this great concept. It's this righteousness fairness, compassion, honesty, good boundaries for your life and your relationships. These are all components of God's justice as love is meant to be lived out in a community. So to pervert that is to destroy who God is and what God's will is for the people. So the elders of the tribes of Israel, they come to Samuel and say, look, you are soon to die. Your sons are corrupt. They take bribes. We want a change. We want something different and new. We want a king. We want a king. Not a judge, not an intermediary anymore, but a king to rule over us. Now Samuel is angry. God is disappointed. And this is where the story gets really interesting. The people want a king. Did you notice this in the reading? They want a king out of envy and out of worry. They want a king because they are envious of the other nations and they want to be like them. And then they are worried about their future and who will protect them and fight their battles. They're making their decisions out of envy and worry. Don't raise your hand. 
But have you ever made decisions out of envy or worry? Ever made decisions because you're a little bit jealous or envious? You think somebody else has a, a better life or somehow a better situation or better material things, and you want that. You make decisions out of envy. It is one of the, it is one of the hallmarks of advertising for you to have what other people want and what other people have. Do you ever make decisions out of worry when your faith is overwhelmed and you don't, be, don't believe that God is at work in your life? And so you worry and think, I've got to control the future. I've got to make my own plans. I had all of my plans perfectly laid out in the spring of 1996. I was newly engaged, soon to be married in July of that year. I was going to graduate from seminary, and I had worked it all out for my first church, my first call to be at a church on the west coast of Scotland. From a friend of a friend of a friend, I'd been put in touch with a minister there over the previous uh, late fall and winter. And of course, you know, 1996, email was in its infancy. It existed, but they didn't have that over there at that time, uh, at least in, this minister didn't. Um, no phones, no texting, nothing like that. So we wrote letters back and forth to set it up and then we had a couple of phone calls between us where we would make arrangements for my call my job over there and I was so excited I mean I was so excited um, I was sure I'm sure now looking back on it that I didn't strut around campus like a peacock every day only on the days that ended in Y just just really I was exuding confidence. Now I look back on it, it was probably arrogance because my seminary classmates and my friends, they were all still trying to finish things and trying to do the interview process, and they were um, competing for the same calls. And I just stopped interviewing, stopped talking to other churches because I had all these plans laid out, and it was just going to work fine. I remember telling people at an engagement party here in Memphis, in fact, that spring, with a bunch of my parents' friends all around me talking to them about this church and where I was going and how excited I was and how perfect it was. It was going to be great for me and my new bride, and it was just absolutely perfect. But then about a month before graduation, I noticed that the correspondence from my boss-to-be trickled to a stop, and then phone calls went unanswered. I was getting a little nervous. I heard nothing back after leaving several messages with him. Now, naively, I believe that no news is good news. And that was kind of the point in my life where I learned that no news is not good news. If someone doesn't call you back, it's because they, the answer is no. And if you don't hear back from somebody, no news is not good news. So two days before graduation, I finally got this other minister on the phone over in Scotland, and he said, it's off. No explanation, no apology. It's off, and it's not going to work. And I remember just being devastated. I couldn't believe that God would do that to me. Why would God lead me down this path? Why would God get my hopes up? Why would this uh, possibility come into my lap and just fall perfectly into my lap, and then with no apology or explanation, all of the, my hopes, the rug was completely pulled out from underneath me. I couldn't believe that God would do that. Now, I came to find out later that he had actually never told 
anybody in the church about this job that he had offered to me. Never told the elders of the church that. Never mentioned it to anybody. I came to find out later he had all kinds of personal problems and personal failures, and he was gone from that church a few months after I was supposed to have started. But I couldn't see all that. Couldn't see it. But God could. All I could see was my humiliation. All I could feel was that disappointment, complete lack of plans for my future. Then I got worried and envious of all my friends and all their work. Can you imagine trying to go to your um, fiancé's parents and explaining to them, (laughs) yes, I'm going to marry your daughter and I have no job and I'm going to move back into our home and try to work on something later. I don't know. Envy and worry filled me. And it filled those Israelites. They wanted to be just like all the other nations around them. They wanted to be all like all those other nations, which was such a radical departure from who they were called to be. I mean, the whole point of Israel's existence was to be God's covenant partner. God had pulled them into this very special relationship. God had said, I am your God. You are my people. Here is the Torah. Here is this beautiful law of justice and fairness and compassion and holiness all wrapped up together. Live by this and be very different from all the other nations around you. And they said, no, we want to be like them. We want a king. So what did God do? Did God dump them because of God's disappointment in them? Did God forget them? No. Does God continue to be at work in them even through their wrong choices? Yes. Our sinfulness and our wrong choices and our departures from God's ways does not negate God's love for us and God's will to continue working in our lives as his covenant partners. God will not let them go. God provides for them. God sees ahead. Now what Samuel cannot see and what people cannot see is that when they desire a king, God says, okay, I'll give you a king with a small K. I'll give you these kings like David and Solomon and all the kings who follow after them. I will give you these kings and some will be good and some will be bad. Some kings will do terrible things. Some kings will be obedient. God says, I'll give you that king, that human king. But what God does then through the kingship of Israel is to create some expectations that grow year after year, decade after decade. The expectations for not just a king, but for the king. Expectations for the king, the Messiah that God would one day send to be the true king for all those people. It was through the kingship that God would then build up these expectations and these hopes for the royal servant, the suffering servant who would come and be king over all people, including ourselves. God did all of this in Jesus. God was at work among those people from then on. God gave them what they asked for, even if they didn't know exactly what they meant in that request. God's providence was at work. So to finish the story for me, God's providence was definitely at work, even though I couldn't see it. After everything fell through, I graduated without a job with my tail tucked between my legs when I walked across the stage. And meanwhile, my classmates who had calls were off to great things. Graduated, and the next day, as I was preparing to do something else, 
a letter appeared on the open jobs board at the seminary. And as I was walking down the seminary hallway for, I I think it was going to be the very last time as I was preparing and packing up, saying goodbyes and getting ready to drive back home and leave, I walked by that bulletin board to see that there was an open job from another church in Scotland. They had been looking for an associate pastor for over a year, and they had received several closed doors. So I took the letter off the board, went into the president's office, I told him the whole sorry saga of the other failure. Within a few minutes, we were on the phone to my future boss's wife and talked to her for a few minutes, and then a couple hours later on the phone with him, and we had laid out all the details. Another phone call later the next day, and it was a done deal. And I could never see ahead, but God could. God could see the most amazing experience. And I know I talk about that time in Scotland some with great affection because it was an amazing time in our life together. That It was just this time we were first we were married and moved over there, agreed to go for two, stayed for four, made incredible friendships, got to do um, some incredible things in ministry there. And it was such a generative time in our lives that God could see ahead and that I just couldn't. God steered me through, not around, but God steered me through the wreckage of that first situation and the heartache and the disappointment and the anger and the confusion. God steered me not around it, but through it in order to prepare me for something that was so much better that I couldn't even imagine. Friends, we believe that God is at work in us. God is providentially at work in us, providing gracefully, sometimes steering us through disappointments and wreckage, but God is at work. God is at work for you individually. And I'll just say that if, if right now is a perplexing time in your life for any reason, if right now is a perplexing time in your life and it feels like you're walking alone, you cannot understand why God would let this happen to you, why has this come into your lap and into your walk, keep walking. Keep following God. Keep moving forward because God is going to steer you through that to the other side into something that you just cannot see right now, but something that is so beautiful waiting on you. I say that for each individual, and then I know this is true for the church. I know this is true for GPC. As I look back over the last year and I think about the pandemic and then that darn flood that we had in February, And I think about all the stuff that God has been leading us through as a church. God has been leading us through some amazing things and has been preparing us for things that we never would have done if it hadn't been for the flood and if it hadn't been for the pandemic. There's too many things to mention. I mean, I mentioned the whole live streaming things. The only reason we've got this incredible technology that's in here that was in the sanctuary that will go back in the sanctuary It's because of the pandemic, and that has caused us to kind of catch up to a lot of other churches and to do some amazing things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. I've been thinking about this evening worship service with John. We've been praying about this. Had a meeting about it a week ago. Some of you were at that to think about, you know, uh, last spring, should we start the service in the pandemic or not, and to, to wrestle with that decision. We've got some amazing things that have happened because we trusted God to move forward with that. I mentioned uh, we know Kirsten King, who's here tonight, and we said uh, thank you to her for her internship and being with us during this last year. 
that never would have happened without the pandemic. And so as some of you know, you were part of this planning, the strategic visioning committee of the church had been at work in the fall of 19 and in early 2020. We had an elders and deacons retreat. We were going to revamp the 2016 strategic goals of the ministry. And then COVID hit. And then the strategic visioning committee, that SVC, we just got stuck. We just got stuck in the quicksand of COVID and schedules and worry and, and concerns and, and lots of confusion about the future. And we never would have had Kirsten because of the pandemic. The pandemic forced her to, to move back from seminary. And then she could put on her leadership skills hat here and has pushed us through and got us unstuck in that process so that we've created a new strategic vision that our deacons and elders will take up in about two weeks. It's going to cast an amazing vision for the church as we move forward, starting this summer and this coming fall. We've made all these improvements to the sanctuary that I mentioned, and I can't understate how important that is because... If our worship is better and stronger, then our faith will be better and stronger. And if individuals have a better and stronger faith among us, then our church will be better and stronger. God has been at work in us through all of this last year. I can't wait to see how that unfolds in your life individually. Some of you are, are trusting enough and bless me and share your own spiritual memoir and some of the hard times that you go through, you trust that to us and you talk about it sometimes here at church. God is at work individually in you. God's providence is providing for you and God's providence is providing for this church. And I can't wait to see how it will unfold. Amen. Friends, we're going to move to a time of the sacrament. I'll invite uh, Mike to come up and to lead us in uh, this next portion of our service as we meet God here at the table and celebrate communion. Very nice. Hello? There we go. As we look at over our lives, the truth of what Pastor Will said, you, you can't avoid it. It's all over the place. Now God has provided for us and taken care of us. We're still here. There's half a million people in this country who are not here. And we feel very lucky and fortunate. And yeah, we call it blessed. And we've got a lot more questions than we do answers, but we're here to wrestle together. And so as we live out of the providential love of God, one of the many ways that we do that is through the giving of tithes and offerings by looking out at our lives and saying, God, thank you so much. Out of a sense of obedience and gratitude, we give a portion of the bounty he's given to take care of us so that someone else who encounters the love of God in this church would know that it is him living and moving. So would you join me now in a word of prayer? God, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for uniting us together in person and online by your spirit, which spans all manner of time and space and glues us together 
and know, we know that the deeper we enter within to your presence, the closer you draw us, not only to yourself, but to one another, because you are the beating heart within all of your children. So we tender to you these tithes and offerings, whether given online by our sisters and brothers who are watching us at home, or given in person by we here who are worshiping together in person. We give to you all of these things in the deep hope and desire that you would take joy in it and that you would bless and magnify it for your glory. And so as we tender to you these, we also are humbled that you give us something back. Not 10% of your love, but 100% of it. And so we welcome you and invite you and beg of you, Holy Spirit, to come. Pour yourself out upon these gifts of bread and juice. That as we dedicate ourselves fully and completely, we remember that you did that first. By giving all of who you are. Sacrificing yourself for our sins so that we may rise with you from the grave of our own creating and live no longer for ourselves, but live for you. So in dedication to you of these tithes and offerings and reception from you of this feast of grace, we lift our voices together and join your own by reciting the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At the end of Jesus' ministry, his in-person ministry, on the night that he was betrayed, he was having dinner with his best friends. And during that really sacred meal, he took a piece of bread. And he took it, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his friends, his disciples. And he said, take, eat this. This bread is my body, broken for you. Eat of it, all of you, and remember me. In a similar way, when they had finished eating dinner, he took a glass of wine. Here we have grape juice. And he lifted it, and he said, this cup is the new covenant Sealed in my blood, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So drink of it, all of you, and remember me. The Apostle Paul, a little, little later on, reminds us that every time we have the honor, the gift, the privilege to partake of this bread and juice, we're doing something else at the same time. We are proclaiming our Lord saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. 
So I invite you now to pluck your goldfish from its beautiful home, the body of Christ broken for you. In a similar fashion together, I invite you to take the grape from your bag and to partake of the cup of salvation shed for you. Would you pray with me? In the quiet stillness of our hearts, we come before you, God. We come before you avoiding the wounds that we need you to heal and also craving the healing that we sense that we need. And as you have fed and nourished not only us in body, but the deepest, most essential part of who we are in you, our souls, we are so grateful that you prefer the ordinary parts of our lives to become transformed into extraordinary vessels of your grace and your mercy. So thank you, Jesus, so much. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. The word tonight is a strong reminder and your testimony beautiful encouragement um, of how God does take us through the wreckage sometimes to get to something even better than we can imagine. But we can't see it on our own because we are limited and our perspectives are limited. So we need God to be our vision. This next song is Be Thou My Vision and it speaks right to that. God, you be my vision, you be my guide, my shepherd, my eyes when I can't see, and all my faith is in you. So I invite you to stand and join with us in singing.
Sorry, guys, we have a little bit of musical instrument chairs going on up here. Um, <laughs> this next song is called Graves Into Gardens. And beautifully coming out of Be Thou My Vision, when we think about graves, we think about the things that we've lost. We think about the things that have gone before us. And, and it's sad. Like when you think about that, you think about maybe someone you have lost or someone you had to say goodbye to. But the beauty in graves is that God takes our graves and he turns them into gardens. He turns something that was once dead into something that was beautiful and that you love to spend time in. My mom is a master gardener and uh, she has taken many, many, many just piles of dirt and has turned them into something that I love to go home and spend time in. And God has done the exact same thing in my life and in your life. And so I invite you to sing this song with us and to also just reflect on what is it that God has taken in your life that maybe wasn't beautiful at first, but now it is.
Remember the words of scripture that say, keep alert, stand firm, be courageous and strong, and let everything you do be done in love. And so go out into the world now to love and serve the Lord and go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the grace of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen.